Good morning and welcome to the 7am Bible. This is Paul Chapman and this is episode number 59. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and mercy to us. Thank you for waking us to refresh to a brand new day. And we pray now as we open your word together that you'll bless us, Lord, with food for our souls this day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have just joined us, we've been going through the life of Jacob. In the last episode, we looked at the change of character in Jacob's sons. Jacob's shock at hearing the news that Joseph was alive and the amazing humility and honour of Judah. The furnace in God's character refinery had accomplished its work. All twelve brothers were at peace with themselves, with God and with each other. Jacob's heart revived at the news that Joseph was alive in Egypt. God and his providence permitted Joseph to become governor of Egypt. Through Joseph, God paved the way for Jacob and his family to move to Egypt, where under the protection of the Egyptian nation, they would flourish. God assured Jacob that when his descendants would become a great nation, he would bring them back to Canaan and establish them there as his people. In the last episode, Joseph has sent for Jacob and asked that he come to Egypt. So Jacob departed for Egypt with all his household, all his cattle and all his possessions. I'm reading here verses 26 and 27. It gives us the number of Jacob's descendants at this time that went down to Egypt. It says here, All the souls that came with Jacob into Egypt, which came out of his loins, besides Jacob's son's wives, all the souls were threescore and six. That's 66 in today's language. And the sons of Joseph, which were born him in Egypt, were two souls. All the souls of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were threescore and ten. That is 70 souls. The story picks up now at the reunion of Jacob and Joseph after 20 years apart. I'm reading here from Genesis 46 and verse 28. It says he and he, that is, uh, Jacob, sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. So Judah went ahead to receive directions from Joseph as to where they were to settle in Egypt. The place was called Goshen. Judah then acted as a guide to the location. Now they arrived at Goshen and then Joseph comes to meet them. I'm reading here from verses 29 and 30. It says here, And Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen, and presented himself unto him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. What a scene that must have been. Joseph, in all his splendor as the governor of Egypt, I think they call him the vizier, uh, with his attendants, coming to meet Jacob, now an elderly grandfather and a simple shepherd. Ellen White, one of my favorite Christian authors, she comments on the scene here. She says in her book, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 233, the splendor of his surroundings and the dignity of his position were alike forgotten. One thought alone filled his mind. One longing thrilled his heart. As he beheld the travelers approaching, the love whose yearnings had for so many long years been repressed would no longer be controlled. He sprang from his chariot and hastened forward to meet or to bid his father welcome. Now, I want to share a little about Egypt and the land of Goshen. 
You see, Jacob's family, which numbered 70 plus the wives, could not reside in Canaan permanently until they had grown strong enough to take possession of the land and keep it. God therefore sent them to Egypt. But Egypt, while it would provide a safe and secure environment for Jacob's family, was full of idolatry. They worshipped over 50 gods, I remember reading in one book, and even their king, the pharaoh, was considered a god himself. Not only that, but their magnificent temples and buildings were adorned with captivating images of these gods. These, together with the idolatrous religious rites of the Egyptians, would be a continual influence to draw the mind away from the worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So why did God send them there? Well, I think a clue is in Joseph's proposal to his father and his brothers. Let's read it here in Genesis 46, verse 31 to 34. It says here, And Joseph said unto his brethren and unto his father's house, I will go up and shew Pharaoh and say unto him, My brethren and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, they are come unto me. And the men are shepherds, for their trade hath been to feed cattle. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh shall call you and shall say, What is your occupation? That ye shall say, Thy servant's trade hath been about cattle from our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers, that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. Now, The Egyptians, you see, cherished hatred and contempt for all classes of herdsmen. Now, some believe that this was due to the rule of Egypt at one time by foreign invaders called the Hyksos. The Hyksos were a Semitic people that had settled in Lower Egypt and came to dominate the nation both militarily and as rulers. Eventually, they were driven out by the native Egyptians, and ever after, the Egyptian historians vilified the Hyksos as foreign invaders that destroyed the temples, slaughtered the innocent, and razed cities in barbaric lust. Now, there's no real evidence that the Hyksos did this, but I read that the Egyptians refused to intermarry with the Semites. They forbade them to enter into their temples, and they depicted them on their monuments as lean, sordid, and wretched creatures, lame and half-shaven. Therefore, anyone who was a herdsman from the Semite lands like the Hyksos were classed as barbarians. So, it makes sense why God sent Jacob and his family to Egypt. Egypt would provide a safe and fertile land in which Jacob's family could grow into a great nation, but because of the Egyptians' cultural aversion to shepherds from Canaan, there would be a lot lower risk of the Israelites intermarrying with the Egyptians. This way, Israel had the best chance of remaining a distinct people that could retain the worship of the God of heaven. Now, the place Joseph assigned for the Israelites was Goshen. This was far away from the capital city of Memphis. It was a rural area of Egypt, but a fertile one and relatively separate from the major dwelling places of the Egyptians. Joseph went to Pharaoh to gain permission for his family to settle there, and Pharaoh approved. We read it here in Genesis 47 verse 6. The land of Egypt is before thee. In the best of the land, these are the words of Pharaoh to uh, Joseph, the land of Egypt is before thee. In the best of the land, make thy father and brethren to dwell. 
In the land of Goshen, let them dwell, and if thou knowest any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. (laughs) There you go. Now, know what Jacob did when he first met Pharaoh. I'm reading here from uh, verse uh, 7 through to verse 10 of Genesis 47. It says here, And Joseph brought in Jacob his father, and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are an hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. Isn't that interesting how Jacob referred to the years of his life as the years of his pilgrimage? He was a sojourner in this world who realized that life here is about God preparing us for life in the world made new. Hence, he saw all the days of his life as few and evil. For the most part, they were days of affliction. Now, verse 10 says, And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. Now, even though Egypt was one of the greatest nations in the world at the time, that did not awe Jacob. Remember, he had communed with God directly and fought hand-to-hand with his angel and prevailed. He had bowed in humility before the king of the universe. It's understandable then that Pharaoh did not awe him one bit. Alan White comments in her book, Patriarchs and Prophets, page uh, 233, The patriarch was a stranger in royal courts, but amid the sublime scenes of nature, he had communed with a mightier monarch, and now in conscious superiority, he raised his hands and blessed Pharaoh. Now, Genesis 47, uh, sorry, chapter 47 and verses 27 to 28 tells us what happened with Jacob's family in Egypt. Verse 27 I'm reading from, And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions therein, and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. Now, Ellen White goes on to say here in the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, In his first greeting to Joseph, Jacob had spoken as if with this joyful ending to his long anxiety and sorrow, he was ready to die. But seventeen years were yet to be granted him in the peaceful retirement of Goshen. These years were in happy contrast to those that had preceded them. He saw in his sons evidence of true repentance. He saw his family surrounded by all the conditions needful for the development of a great nation. And his faith grasped the sure promise of their future establishment in Canaan. He himself was surrounded with every token of love, and favour that the Prime Minister of Egypt could bestow, and he was happy in the society of his long-lost son. So, God blessed Jacob in Egypt. His family was fruitful and multiplied greatly. But, note this, despite his peace and comfort, Jacob never lost sight of God's promise to give him and his descendants the land of Canaan for a possession. This was evident in Jacob's last arrangement before he died. Let's have a read here. Genesis 47, verses 29 to 31. It says, And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt, 
but I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, Swear unto me. And he swore unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. This arrangement reveals Jacob's whole character. He had asked that his remains be carried to Canaan, but not from any kind of romantic attachment to the land. It was from faith in the promises of God. As splendid as it was in Egypt, it was not his home. Jacob looked to the land of promise as his possession. So how is it with us? You know, I believe God can bless us with prosperity and comfort in this life, as we saw in a previous episode. But when he does, there's always a danger that we become so attached to this world and its comforts that we forget about the next. We become like the seed that's sown among thorns. In the parable of the sower and the seed, Jesus explained what happens to such seeds. I'm looking here in Luke 8 verse 14. And Jesus said, And that which fell among thorns, talking about the seeds, the seeds which fell among the thorns, are they, talking about people now, which when they have heard, go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. So, instead of being a fruitful tree of the Lord's planting, we allow all the cares and riches and pleasures of this life to choke out our spiritual life. That's what a seed that's sown among thorns is like. Slowly, perhaps imperceptibly, our spiritual life shrinks. We start to neglect prayer and Bible study and we get so caught up with the things of this life that we have no time for Jesus and no time for God. That's why Jesus said in Luke 21, verse 34 to 36, Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, which is overindulging, and drunkenness, and cares of this life, and so that that day come upon you unawares. Now the day he's referring to here is the second coming of Jesus when this world will come to an end. He says in verse 35, For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So may God help us to count ourselves as pilgrims like Jacob did. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this meditation this morning that reminds us of Jacob's attitude, Lord, to this life, that he was a pilgrim and a stranger here, just a sojourner in the land, and help us to recognize ourselves likewise, that we will not get caught up with the cares of this life, with the comforts of Egypt, so to speak, but keep our eyes fixed on that heavenly inheritance and that we'll be a light for you in this world, Lord, and though our days uh, in this pilgrimage may be many days of affliction, Lord, let us not lose our faith in you. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we pray that we will all be ready for him when he comes again soon. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the 7 a.m. Bible this morning. I trust you've gained a blessing from it. And remember, wherever you are today, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, take the Lord with you, be prayerful, be careful, and have a great day. And I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of the 7 a.m. Bible. 